We are still in chapter six, uh, Mishnah number six. We're up to the 48 ways to get wisdom, and we're up to way number 10. And that is Bishimush Chachamim, to serve the sage, to study under the tutelage of a sage. There are different ways of studying. You could study, and you could study with a degree of apprenticeship, of course. Anytime you study from a great sage, you're able to absorb some of their Torah. But we're told that there's a very deep form of study that's not called to learn, limud, to learn, but shimush, which means to serve under the sage, to serve under their tutelage. And that is way number 10, to acquire wisdom. How do you acquire wisdom? There's 48 different ways. And one of the ways is b'shimush chachamim, to serve under the tutelage of a great sage. Now, the Talmud, the book of Brachos on page 7b tells us that not only is this a form of study or a form of absorbing wisdom from a sage, you will actually learn more when you serve the sage than when you study under them. So this concept of serving under the tutelage of a great sage, that is something which is not just an ancillary side point, it's actually where the bulk of the wisdom will be transmitted, not in a formal setting of a, of a scholastic environment, but via the tutelage of the disciple, the apprentice, to the master. Now, what does this mean on a practical level? So this is interpreted in many different ways. On a basic level, we're told that if you want to really understand Torah, you need to be in the proximity of a living example of what you aspire to be. You know, we could read a book. And you could read a whole library of books, but you will learn more if you actually learn from a person. Just like when you want to learn a new language. What's the best way to learn a new language? Well, you could read all the instructions and go through all the steps on your Duolingo or the other programs that you use to study a new language. But if someone throws you into Portugal or Madrid or Berlin and you're just stuck there, Berlin's not a good example because everyone there speaks English, but if you're dropped into some place and you're in this environment, that will teach you a lot more than any sort of formal instruction. And that, of course, is the basic idea of oral Torah. Oral Torah is not just you know, to, to study from a book, but to be surrounded, to be immersed in this sort of environment. And that will actually deepen the learning and will fill in all the gaps that you may have developed over the course of your formal study. The Talmud relates an incredible story. It's talking about Rabbi Akiva. He said, before I began to study as an apprentice of the great sages, I did what I thought was a great mitzvah. I was walking along the way, and I saw an unattended body. Whenever there's an unattended cadaver, there's someone who's dead, and there's no one there taking care of them. It's a great mitzvah to bury the dead. And I carried this dead body for four mils, I think of it as four miles, until I found the cemetery. 
and I buried him in the cemetery. And then I went to my teachers. I went to Rabbi Eliezer and to Rabbi Yoshua, and I told them what happened. And they responded with shocking criticism. And they said, for every step that you took, it's like you were a murderer. Why? Because you should have buried him right away in the place that you found them. Because when you find a dead body, they acquire that space and you can bury them right away. And Robert Hiva said, how did I make such a mistake? I wanted to do a mitzvah. I wanted to do the right thing. And I made a mistake. All the more so when I don't want to do the right thing. Imagine how many mistakes I will make. At that time, I committed to never leave the area, the proximity of my teachers. And then Robert Kiva, uh, he taught someone who does not spend time under the tutelage of a great sage, they are guilty of a capital crime. This is the story the Talmud tells us, and it's, of course, really shocking because Rabbi Kiva is carrying a cadaver by himself for significant amounts of, of time, and he's bringing him to the cemetery. This is tremendous kindness with amazing self-sacrifice and dedication. But for every step, he was guilty. Why? Why was he guilty? Because he didn't know what to do in this particular situation. Why did he not know what to do? Because he spent insufficient time under the tutelage of a great sage. And this is what is being told us over here. You... If you really want wisdom, you can read all the books in the world, but spending time with a real sage will supercharge your advancement and your growth, and you'll absorb Torah in a much deeper and fundamental way, and you'll add yourself to this glorious chain that goes all the way back to Sinai, and you'll bond with this chain, this chain of transmission in a way that will really fundamentally elevate you. And this is part of what happens in a yeshiva. In a yeshiva, it's not just a room with a lot of books that everyone's standing on their own. There's a great emphasis of the students studying under the tutelage of the master. And the way that the instruction is given it's given in a way that the student learns not just how, you know, what the material is, but they learn how to actually eventually graduate to become like the teacher themselves. So if you're teaching, let's say, Talmud, you want to show the student how the sausage is made. There's an old saying that they say in yeshiva, there's two kinds of chefs. One chef just shows up and delivers the finished product. That's not a good Torah teacher. A good Torah teacher has to take the patron into the kitchen and show them the process. Don't just deliver the finished product. Show them what you did and where you 
bumped into problems and how you navigated it and how you understood the problem and how you and how you wrestled with it and eventually what what led you to your conclusion give them the nitty-gritty so that that way they're not just informed and educated but they're really trained and they and they they know what you're doing and they know how to do what you what you're doing so that they too can transmit that to the next generation so part of this idea it's it's not just to study it's to study how to study it's to study how to teach it's to study how to continue this wonderful transmission but there's another component to the principle of tutelage and that is that there's a lot of parts of Torah that cannot be studied from a book. How does a person live? What are the decisions that a person makes? What are the priorities? How do you navigate problems? There is Torah in how to live. And of course, you can maybe study that if you read between the lines, but you have to read between the lines. You have to read the white part, not just the black letters of the page. There's an old saying that although the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, is comprised of four major sections, there's actually a fifth section that's not written down. And that's transmitted from teacher to student. And what's that? Those are all the intangibles. All the things you can't just write. You have to witness. And that is what really transforms and elevates the students. So it's all these subtleties, things that you can't even put into words. That is what is referred to here as tutelage. The great Rabbi Chaim Shmuel Levitz, he was the head of the Mir Yeshiva, which is the largest yeshiva in the world. And he was a student of Rabbi Yerucham Levavitz, who incidentally was my grandfather's primary teacher. And Rabbi Shmuel Levitz, he used to say, he would tell his students, he says, why am I so much more intelligent than you? He was a great, great, great genius. But he tells students, why am I so much more developed than you? No one spent more time with Rabbi Yerucham than me. For six years, I spent the entire Shabbos with Rabbi Yerucham every week. And the whole week, the whole Shabbos, he would not stop talking and instructing and teaching and elevating. And you may think the reason why I'm so much more developed than you, it's because that I, I, I studied with Rabbi Rucham more than you did. But that's not the reason. The reason why I'm so much, so much more developed than you, and you have to understand who this person was to understand the, the context of what he's saying, is because I went with Rabbi Rucham to the beach. I saw him in situations that none of y'all ever experienced. And he taught me how to live. And I was able to see him up front, not in a study context. I really was able to be reared 
under the tutelage of Rabbi Yerucham more than anyone else. And that's why I was more developed than everyone else. The Talmud talks about some really crazy stuff that happened between teachers and students. The students really wanted to learn everything from their masters. And it's, it's even, you can't even talk about it. Because they went to such extremes to study under their teachers. The Talmud records two stories. You say this, it seems so inappropriate. Two stories of students who followed their teachers into the washroom. Why? I have to know how to, how, what's the proper way to do this? What's the proper way to use the washroom? And then when the teachers caught the students, what are you doing here? They responded, this is Torah and I need to study it. Torah is not just the formal instruction. It's learning how to live, how to be elevated in every area of your life. This is Torah and this I need to study. And then it records... And again, this takes it to an even diff- you know, even crazier level of one student who snuck into his teacher's bedroom to witness how the teacher interacted with his wife. And then when he found him, he says, what are you doing here? The student responded, this is Torah, and this is what I need to study. Now, to us, this is obviously not something that's on our radar at all. And it's very hard to have someone today to be so committed to their teacher to really absorb everything that they do in their lives. And of course, we shouldn't just try to mimic our teachers in what they do because it has to be appropriate to who we are. But this shows the concept of the attitude that students had towards their teachers, at least in the times of the Talmud, the times of the Mishnah. They didn't want just to, to study you know, the, the Talmud and the laws and the Torah. Every part of how a person behaves, of how a great sage behaves, all that's incorporated into Torah. It's that fifth section that's never written. And if you really, really, really want to ascend to stratospheric levels, you need to dabble with that as well. Now, that's not really on the t- on the on the table in the cards for us. But I was always, you know, fascinated with the study of halacha. I have a hard time with the study of halacha. And the reason why is because I feel that the halacha, the halacha or the halachic experts, they are such experts that they fail to understand what it's like to be a newbie and to be a novice. And it's very rare to find someone who's able to adapt, so to speak, their 
voluminous knowledge for someone who is just a beginner. So I spoke to uh, a person that I'm very close with. And I said, what will be the best way for a person to become a halachic authority, to be a posek, as it's called, to be able to answer any question? Now, some questions are, are easy. Even I can answer some questions. But if you're a recognized halachic authority, you get questions that are so nuanced and so subtle and depend on so many different variables and factors, you really have to know all of Talmud and all of the medieval commentators and all of the response to literature to understand which variables are even part of the question. And then you have to render a ruling. How does someone become a posik, a halachic authority? So he told me, he says, the way to do it is like this. You take three months of your life and you shadow an existing halachic authority. Because over the course of 90 days, all the questions that ever come up will come up, will come up, will surface. You'll encounter all the questions and you'll see how they analyze, how they navigate, how they dissect a question. You'll be an apprentice. You want to be a halachic arbiter? Be a halachic apprentice. Be an apprentice to an existing arbiter. That is the tutelage. Learn to emulate what they do. See how they approach the questions. And in 90 days, you'll be ready. Now, of course, this assumes a certain baseline understanding of the subject matter. If you're just totally ignorant, 90 days will not be sufficient. But once someone has a certain baseline, they, they, they hit a ceiling. The way to crack through that ceiling is via apprenticeship. My grandfather, blessed memory, he added another point. Another value of studying with a great person in close contact. If you ever have the great privilege of encountering a great person, you will be shocked to learn how great they are and how small you are by comparison. And that gives you some degree of proportions. You realize that humans are capable of a lot more. And that's going to expand your horizons. You have now been introduced to a very similar species. One that's it's really rare. It's a human who really developed all their potential. It's, it might as well be a different species because you don't know anyone like that. Ordinary people. Ordinary people are mediocre. It's extraordinary to meet someone who's really great. But once you meet that and you're like, how is that possible? I don't know anyone else like that. You've now unlocked the next level of your growth. Because now you have a living model of what you also can become. And you realize how small you are, but you at least know that you're not mandated 
to remain that small. You have met a person with really the same tools that you had, but they really made the most of it. And they've used all the gifts that they had and became great and big, and you could do that as well. My grandfather, bless him, wrote an incredible essay on this subject, and I want to read parts of it to you. One of the hallmarks of my grandfather's life was the fact that he always had someone who he assigned as his Rebbe, as his teacher. And when his teacher passed, he found a new one. And even when he was in his 80s, he found someone that he can say, this is my teacher. The, the Mishnah tells us, harav, make for yourself, assign for yourself a rabbi, a teacher. And what if you don't have one? Well, find one. And what if they don't want to be your teacher? Assign them as your teacher. doesn't say get their approval. Make it for you. It doesn't say that they should accept you as a student. Find someone and say, this is a person that I look up to, and this is a person that they're now my, my teacher. And when he was in his 90s already, he had a teacher who was 15 years his junior. But he subjugated himself to him. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. So this subject was a subject that he had a particular affinity for. In fact, even his book, the introduction to his book, begins with this idea. That if a person studies, and they study, and they study, and they study, but they don't actually apprentice under the tutelage of a great sage, there's still something very important that they are missing. And in one of his essays on the subject, he writes a fantastic idea. The Rambam, in the laws of Sanhedrin, chapter 4, law number 1, he's talking about the concept of smicha. To be part of the grand Sanhedrin, you have to have what's called smicha, which means ordination. Well, what does it mean, ordination? It means that Moshe placed his hands upon Joshua and conferred upon him a status of you are my student and I'm rendering you as a person who studied under my apprenticeship Whatever I knew, I taught to you, and now you can carry that baton forward. And Moshe did that not only with Joshua, but also with the 70 elders. And those 70 elders, they conferred this ordination onto the next generation, and the next generation to the next generation, so on, generation to generation, until the times of the Talmud. So for 1,500 years or so, there was even more, 1,700 years, there was an uninterrupted chain of teacher to student, generation to generation, going all the way back to Moshe, who got it, of course, from God. And this line of smicha, of ordination, was uninterrupted until it had to end, but it will be restored with the Messiah. 
But the Rambam, it's interesting, he adds a few extra words in this description of the conferring of the ordination of the smicha. Rambam writes that Moshe also bestowed upon them prophecy. The Shechina rested upon these 70 elders. And it seems like these are two different subjects. You know, the, the primary subject over here is the discussion of smicha. And somehow the Rambam seems to conflate it with the with the other subject, and that is prophecy or the presence of the Almighty's Shechina upon these elders. Evidently, these are connected. What do we mean when we talk about this tra- chain of transmission? Moshe to Joshua and the elders and generation to generation. The Rambam seems to imply, says my grandfather, a blessed memory, that a connection that Moshe had with the Almighty, not just the Torah, that was also conferred with the smicha to Joshua and to the elders. And the principle of, of smicha, of this ordination, is this so to speak, idea of the presence of the Shechina upon the next generation. And therefore, becoming a student, it means joining this chain that goes all the way back to Sinai, all the way back to Moshe. And just as Moshe accepted the Torah via prophecy, via the presence of God upon him, that too is included in that chain. Of course, today we don't have prophecy, and we don't even have the resting of the Shechina, but we do have that chain. I mentioned in the past how we have over here at the Torch Center in Houston, Texas, we have a list of teacher to student to student to student and and so on, all the way back to Moshe, who studied from God going all the way down to the torch rabbis here in Houston, Texas. And there's no link missing in the chain. This chain is a product not just of teacher teaching students, but students studying under the tutelage of the master. And to do it properly, you have to really be a truth seeker. And you have to be receptive to some degree of self-abnegation. You have to be receptive to criticism. You have to really almost nullify yourself and say, I'm a student now. I'm not, I'm not a teacher yet. I'm not a master yet. I'm a student. And I'm absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. And that does not mean that I turn off my mind and I stop to be an independent thinker. But now I'm listening. I'm learning. And I'm resisting the urge to be an independent voice and to be, you know, be creative in my own right, just listen and try to find fulfillment in absorbing what your teacher is saying. Again, it doesn't mean to be uh, blind acceptance. 
of something that doesn't make any sense to you. But with, with broad and deep understanding, and of course, wrestling with what you're learning and seeing if you can really understand what the message is being conveyed, that is what is expected of someone who wants to study under the tutelage of a great sage. And only a veteran student who truly apprenticed under the tutelage of a great sage, only such a person can become an authority of their own, can actually link themselves to this chain. My grandfather himself, he spent 40 years studying the Torah of his first Rebbe, Rabbi Yerucham. And then in 1976, 40 years after Yerucham passed, he wrote a book, or really he began as a series of essays, where he was able to codify the principal teachings of his master. And he says, he says, I spent 40 years studying it and really trying to absorb it. And now I'm going to, so to speak, share my findings. We are all eager to be independent. We want to use our own gifts to develop our own way of seeing things, to be independent. This demands us to do that, of course, but first to absorb from our teacher. You will not arrive at your destination. If your destination is pursuit of real wisdom, you won't arrive at it without true apprenticeship. And in his essay, my grandfather writes uh, the following shocking line. All of our success in our pursuit of wisdom, it all hinges upon this. And if this was true in previous generations, all the more so it's true today when minds are feebler and mistakes are rife and knowledge of Torah is limited. Without apprenticeship, you will not develop into an authority of your own. Again, doesn't mean blind acceptance. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean mimicry of a great sage. It is about expanding your mind. It's not about outsourcing your thinking to someone else. Don't forfeit unclear, cogent, rational thinking. But the more a person studies under the tutelage of great sage, the more insight they will glean, and that will eventually clear the path for them to really develop themselves as a great sage. The story is told of one of the most influential and iconic Rosh Yeshivos, head of, head of Yeshiva that we've had in the 20th century, the great Rabbi Baruch Ber Leibowitz. He was a real student of Rabbi Chaim Salavechik. And he really committed himself completely to his teacher. So much so that all of his writings, he had a, he had a real brilliant mind and he had voluminous writings, but all the writings that he had before he met his great teacher, he archived. He didn't let anyone read them. Why? Because when he came to his teacher, he started off as if he was a child. Teach me everything. And once 
he spent many years under the tutelage of the great sage, then you kind of take what you learned and you develop it in your own image. And that's how you truly add yourself as the next link on the chain. So if you want true wisdom, we learn here. Part of this is studying under the master, seeing how to do things. Of course, that applies to non-scholastic, non-academic, non-study areas. See how they navigate problems. See how they comport themselves. But even within the parameters of study, after sufficient apprenticeship, then you are prepared for truly transformative things as a scholar yourself. I thank you for listening. I appreciate you very much. I look forward to your questions, your comments, and your feedback. If you want to email me, my email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com.